Rimrock Church. Great to be here with you all on this beautiful summery day. Um, I can't believe it's November and we're getting blessed by all this beautiful weather, so I hope we're all taking advantage of it. Um, but I'm just going to start us out praising the King this morning, so sing with us. Everyone needs compassion, a love that's never failing. Let mercy fall on me. so he causes some crazy technical difficulties so thanks Matt for keeping us on track and uh, we won't be stopped right and keep praising the Lord amen you unravel me with a melody you surround me with a song of deliverance from my enemies till all my fears are cold and I'm no longer a slave 
Thank you. Praise the Lord. God, we're so glad that you have brought us new life, that you have delivered us, God, that we no longer have to live in fear, but that you came to give us abundant life. We're so thankful for that, Jesus. We have a new song that we're going to introduce to you guys today, and I love the, the timing of it because Thanksgiving is one of my favorite holidays um, because of the, just the season of gratitude um, and just like I shared a little bit last week about just fixing our gaze and fixing our eyes on Jesus and how much that transforms our, our circumstances and how we're feeling. And so just being living in gratitude and, and there's nothing bigger that we have to be grateful for than, than the blood that Jesus paid on the cross, dying for us and rising again so that we might have eternal life with him. So as the Lord leads you, listen to these words, sing along, um, but praise the Lord and thank him for what he's done. I was a wretch, I remember who I was. I was lost, I was blind, I was running out of time. Sin separated, the breach was far too wide. to 
thank you for your never-ending, perfect, relentless love, God, that you choose to just chase after us. God, I thank you that, it, that your love is unconditional, that it does not depend on who we are, what we do. And God, no matter where we are at, that you, that you pursue us and you desire for us to be brought into your family. Thank you for that. Have you have been as he comes and shares your word with us today. Help us to receive what you have to say, God, to listen to you and how you're speaking into each of our lives. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So welcome everyone. If you don't know me, I'm Joel Porch. As Ben said, I've been here a long, long time. My wife grew up here, so we're old fixtures. If you don't know us, we'd like to meet you. Uh, Philippians 2, 12 through 18. Therefore, my beloved, as you have, have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. Do all things without complaining and disputing, that you may become blameless and harmless children of God, without fault in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast the word of life, so that I may rejoice in the day of Christ, that I have not run in vain or labored in vain. Yes, and if I am being poured out as a drink offering on the sacrifice and service of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. For the same reason, you also be glad and rejoice with me. Let's pray. Dear Lord, thanks that we get to gather today. Thank you that we live in a country we can. Uh, we pray for Ben. Use Ben to bring your words to us. We pray for our country. We pray for peace. And we pray for um, unity in the church. And uh, we give you all the glory. Amen. Here. I'm on. That was my fault again. That's two weeks in a row. It's been my fault. <laughs> Sorry, Matt. Yeah, thank you, Lee. I, I feel better. You're, you're helping me. <laughs> but Joel, thank you for, for doing that. You know, one of the groups in the church that Paul addresses in the church of Philippi is the overseers. And uh, we are so blessed with a group of elders here at Rimrock Church, and Joel is one of them who serve faithfully. Um, they don't get any compensation, but they believe they're called by God to pray for us as a church, to, to keep watch over us as a church, over our doctrine, over our lives, over how we're living as a church. And so I'm so thankful for, for our overseers, our elders who uh, serve faithfully among us. And uh, as we continue through Philippians, I think something that uh, is so important for us to realize is that um, this book is written to a specific church in Philippi, but it, God has inspired it for us. And it's for a church that's going through pressure, difficulty, hardship, and um, I don't care uh, where you're at in the world or what part of the world you're in. Um, it's common and it's normal for Christians to experience pressure, to experience hardship. And it looks different in different places. So our pressure is a little different than Philippi, but, but we have pressure in our world. We have pressure in our culture. And we have pressure internally where there can be conflicts or divisions or differences among us as followers of Jesus. And so that's why Paul gave us this letter, and that's why ultimately God inspired Paul to give us this letter, so that we can be encouraged, so we can be strengthened, and so we can sing, as we did this morning, that Jesus is Lord, that he is worthy, that God is glorious, and his purposes will be accomplished, no matter how hard that pressure is. And so as, uh, as Joel read uh, these verses, in uh, chapter 2 of verse 12, if you can open your Bibles, we're going to kind of work through uh, these verses verse by verse, but uh, if there's an outline this morning, it's three words. I think there's three key words in these verses that will really um, help us understand what God wants to speak to us. And the three words are obedience, 
The first word is obedience. And the second word is purpose. And the third word is worship. Obedience, purpose, and worship. And so as we begin in verse 12, he says, therefore. Again, last week we started with therefore. This week we start with therefore. So, so uh, we have to see the train of thought. The, what is being revealed? What is, what is, the, what is the, the, the things that are being uh, addressed here? We can't understand without the context. That's the, the most important thing when we read the Bible is that context determines meaning. Context determines meaning. So we can't just put whatever meaning we want into the text. We have to humbly submit to what God is revealing in the text. And so in the context, the previous verses uh, give us the example of Jesus. Remember, Paul told them, in your relationship. So in our relationships with one another, in our relationship with the surrounding culture, with one another, have the same mindset as Jesus Christ. And so Jesus not only died to save us, to deliver us from sin, but he also died to show us a way, a way. And not only did he die, he resurrected. <laughs> Aren't you thankful that he is the, the resurrected one as well? He not only gave his blood, but he conquered death. He overcame the curse of sin and brokenness in our world. And so what is the example of Jesus, who being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to use to his own advantage? In some translations, translations it says something to be grasped onto. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance of man. He humbled himself. And that's what, that's what Paul is helping us see in the previous verses, that, that we are called to humility. If we're going to follow Jesus, the mark of a follower of Christ is humility. And then the bigger picture, Paul is saying, we're to be united with Christ. And so we're to be united in him and we're to be united together because we have this gospel, this good news of Jesus. And so to be united, we have to be humble. And to be humble, we need to be found in Christ. And how did Jesus humble himself? By becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Aren't you glad it doesn't end there, though? He was obedient, but here's the good news. And this is where we ended last week. Strengthen your arms. Take courage. <laughs> be encouraged, Christian. Be encouraged, because God exalted him to the highest place. And so humility doesn't mean just to be destroyed or made nothing. It's, it's the exaltation. It's the victory. God is a God of victory, and he has a victory for us in this world and everything that's going on. And he gave him the name, the name of Jesus that is above every name, that in the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Jesus is Lord, not just of us, but of everything. But therefore, because of that reality, because Jesus is exalted, because he is Lord, because he is King, because he is Messiah, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed in my presence, now so much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. And so Paul is talking about obedience here. Just as Jesus obeyed, we are called to to have the same attitude, the same mindset. We are people of obedience because we see that Jesus is Lord and we believe it with our hearts. Now, the context here is so important that Paul isn't talking so much here about our salvation or our justification, okay? We believe that there is a justification that Romans 3 talks about that at the death of Christ and the resurrection of Christ, we are made new and clean and forgiven and righteous. <laughs> that we are justified by grace through faith. There is no work, no effort, nothing that we could do to earn that. That's a gift. That is a gift of grace, justification. But that's not what Paul's talking about here. He's talking to people who've already believed in Christ, who are in Christ. If you believe in Christ, if you have trusted Christ, you are in Christ. You are justified. You are righteous. You are clean. You are forgiven. You are a son and daughter of the Lord of all. So what is he talking about here? He's talking about sanctification. He's talking about what does it mean to be in Christ? What does it mean to, to grow in Christ and to become mature in Christ and to live out this Christian faith? And so he's talking about sanctification, and the key— 
is obedience. Obedience. Those who are in Christ are obedient because they know Jesus is Lord. They're obedient to Jesus. <laughs> and Jesus modeled this for us, right? He said, I don't do my own will, but I do the will of the Father. And so the mark of a Christian is a mark of obedience. Now, obedience doesn't just come out of nowhere. Um, obedience is a hard word. We don't like that word. <laughs> My kids don't like that word. I don't always like that word, right? Because it, it carries certain things with it. But let's understand in the context what, what Paul is talking about here in obedience. It comes out of trust. It comes out of trust. As we go down in the verses, we see that we're referred to as children of God. And so trust is key. And if we look at the example of Jesus, he obeyed his father, not because he had to or it was forced upon him, but rather because he trusted his father. If you read in John chapter 14 through 17, you get this beautiful picture of this glorious relationship of God, three in one, the, the Son and the Father and the Holy Spirit, and the attitude and the, the mindset and the way of being is one of humility where I, it was total trust because Jesus said the Father was good in every single way. And so when we understand the character of God and the goodness of God, then there's trust. And that's what Jesus models for us in going to the cross. He knew that his father and the plan and the purposes of God were good. And so he was obedient. He humbled himself in obedience. And so trust is key. And second part of obedience is that there is a purpose. Verse 13, for it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. That's a verse worth memorizing right there. Circle that verse. <laughs> That's a beautiful verse. Here's the good news, is that in obedience, Jesus experienced the presence of the Father and the Holy Spirit and the power of the Spirit and the presence and the power of the Father in such a way that he could accomplish the purposes of God. And in the same way, Paul is saying, just as Jesus modeled that kind of obedience, we too can model that kind of obedience. And it's not just up to us to figure it out. We don't have the strength. We don't have the willpower. We don't have uh, what it takes. And so God provides for us, verse 13. It's God who works in us. That is good news, my friends. <laughs> God works in us to will and to act. Now, I want you to see obedience is action. Obedience is action. It's not just, I want to do something. It's, it's giving ourselves completely, fully to what God has revealed, the way of God, and what he is calling us to do and to be. And so, if we back up now in verse 12, we come to that verse, continue to work out your salvation. What's he talking about? That's the same, if you go in the Greek, it's the same base word as obedience. And so he's continuing with this theme of obedience. Because we have been saved by Jesus through justification, by grace, through faith, because of that reality, the characterization of our sanctification, the characterization of working out our salvation is obedience. That is the fruit of what God is doing in us and what he's producing in us. And he doesn't leave us alone. He works it out in us. And so what is the specific thing that we are to obey in this passage? We have to, you have to back up to the, the first part of chapter 2, right? Where he talks about not looking out to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. And he talks about humility, right? Nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others as more than yourself. That is what God is calling all of us to obey. What else is he saying? Verse 14, do nothing without grumbling or arguing. So he's very specific here. <laughs> he's very specific here. Now, why the fear and trembling? I think there's two parts to fear and trembling that are really important for us. We have to understand the seriousness of sin. You see, God is a holy God. He is a God without sin. And he's calling us 
into his holiness. And holiness doesn't mean that we become perfect. God is perfect. We're not perfect. But holiness is, is becoming complete. It's becoming uh, according to the purpose of what God created us for. We're set apart. That's what holiness literally means. And so here, is, as he's talking about fear and trembling, I think part of that is, is we, we see the ugliness of sin and what it does. We see the destruction of sin. And it says in the Bible that God hates sin. And that's why Jesus came. He said, I came to destroy the works of the devil. Sin is a terrible thing. It's a terrible curse that has destroyed all of us. It destroys our relationships. It destroys our bodies. It destroys our world. And we feel and know the effects and the weight of sin. And so there's a fear and trembling of sin, but there's also a fear and trembling of who God is. <laughs> And we, we like to soften these words as awe and respect, and, and, it, and it, it does include that, but this is, this is a sense of terror, of fear. And it's not a, a bad kind of fear, it's an appropriate, it's a right kind of fear because we see the glory of God, the greatness of God. That is the previous verses say what? That Jesus is Lord of all, and that at, at his name every knee will bow. You see, we need to take seriously sin, but we also need to see the glorious splendor of our God. <laughs> and creation points that out to us. This week I was watching a, a video with my son about the, the universe, and, and, and they were trying to, to think about the, 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 the size of the universe, and, and they basically said, we have no idea, and they said, the whole, everything we know, everything we can see with the telescope, everything we can measure with frequencies and, and all of that is only this little tiny little spot in this vast, vast universe. And when we stand and we look at the wonder of God's creation, we can't help but have fear and trembling at a glorious God who created all things and he's Lord of all. And so that fear of trembling is a good thing. It's a beautiful thing. It's a right thing. And it's, it's the key to humility. If we're going to experience humility the way that God designed us and points out for us to do, we have to have fear and trembling. We have to take seriously our sin, and we have to take seriously the glory of God, the wonder of our God. But God is good. And so when he says, do everything without grumbling and arguing, he's helping us see his holiness and the holy life that we are called to live. Now, I was thinking about this, and I thought, why, why did he pick these things? I mean, he could have picked something like murder or lying. I mean, that feels way worse than grumbling and complaining. <laughs> why, why did he pick these two? And uh, I started thinking, I thought, well, um, I struggle with grumbling and complaining. Um, I'm a father of three boys. Man, we have a lot of grumbling and complaining <laughs> in our home. I don't know about you, but sometimes in our home. And uh, I think about as a pastor, I mean, every church I've been in, there's always some kind of grumbling and complaining. I think about as a country, I mean, there's grumbling and complaining. I thought, man, that's something we all struggle with. I mean, like if he put murder in, in line, we could, some of us might say, you know, I, I don't struggle with that. But grumbling and complaining, that's, that's something we all struggle with with. There's a very few sins that the Bible says God hates. There's only maybe less than a handful, but one of them is grumbling and complaining. So, so this, is a, this is a big deal. <laughs> this is a serious deal. Um, the story of Israel, what was, the, what was the common thing that kept coming up as they're wandering through the desert? They're, they're complaining. They're saying, why? Why do we have to do this? Why do we have to do that? I, I don't like man anymore. I just want to go back to Egypt. I just wanted this to stop, right? And so grumbling and complaining and arguing are symptoms of our sinful condition. And they're symptoms of our broken relationships. I think they're directly tied to the previous verses where it talks about selfish ambition and vain conceit, right? And so when, when he says to be obedient, I mean, this is an area of obedience for us, that our lives are not to be marked by these sins. Rather, we're to be transformed from grumbling and complaining people into new kinds of people, the kinds of people who can be humble, and as we sang already this morning, to be grateful, <laughs> thankful, to be patient with one another, to serve one another in such a way that, that brings glory to God. And so 
this sin and these things that we're to obey in are very specific. The second purpose, uh, second word is purpose, right? He goes on to say, so that you may become blameless and pure, children of God, verse uh, 14, without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Then you will shine among them like stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of life. And then I will be able to boast in the day of Christ that I did not run or labor in vain. Purpose. It's very hard to obey without understanding why, <laughs> right? I, I know my kids, um, and maybe you have kids in these different stages, go through stages where uh, we have battles over certain things. So for a while, it was going to bed. Any of you parents in the going to bed stage of that battle? <laughs> it's like, it's like, well, and they say, why, why do we have to go to bed? We wanna play, we wanna do all this stuff. Or, or maybe uh, it's brushing their teeth, or maybe it's eating your vegetables, right? And, uh, and so partly as a parent, you have to say, you know, this is good for you, but, but you have to explain why. You have to say, you have to obey. You, yes, you have to go to bed. Yes, you have to brush your teeth. Yes, you have to eat your vegetables. But partly as a parent, you have to explain why. And it's because it's good for you. I want you to be healthy. <laughs> I want you to live a long time. I want you to be able to get through this life having rest and strength and good teeth that don't fall out, you know? Th those, are, those are good things, and, and we laugh about it as adults, but for kids, these are battles, right? And they complain about it, and they grumble about it, and they say, I don't want to. But we explain why, and, and God explains why. Why does he want us to put aside selfish ambition, vacancy? Why does he want us not to complain and grumble? And he tells us why in these verses. He says, first of all, because you're my children, right? You're my children. That's, a, that's important. <laughs> Don't miss that. God isn't some kind of slave master up there saying, I just want you to do this because it benefits me. No, he sees us as children. One of the things uh, I, I've been able to do this past few years is coach a, a soccer team. And, um, and it's fun. I, I love sports. I love seeing uh, kids grow and develop in, in a lot of ways. But, but one thing you realize as a coach is, is uh, parents are passionate about their kids, aren't they? <laughs> and that's a good thing. It's a good thing because they want their kids to excel. They want their kids to do. And, and their greatest love and passion is to see their kids become all that God created them to be. And that's a beautiful thing. Parents protect their kids. Parents are for their kids. They want the best for their kids. And that's what God is saying. I'm like that with you. <laughs> I'm for you. I'm gonna fight for you. <laughs> I'm your father. You're my children. You see the, 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 the relationship? You see, obedience doesn't come out of abuse. It comes out of love. It comes out of desire for our best, right? And so children of God, that's, that's important for understanding the purpose of obedience that we are children. But then there's a second purpose, and it's a purpose beyond ourselves. Because remember, if the sin is selfish ambition, that it's all about us, Paul is helping us see that God is revealing that our purpose is much bigger than just me. <laughs> it's much bigger than just I. God has something in store with us together, that there is this bigger purpose, and that's getting to this idea of unity. How do we be unified? We have to be humble. We have to see others, the value of others, and in doing that, there's even a bigger purpose. It's not just so that the church gets along, even though the church being unified is a powerful thing. There's a world out there that's lost in darkness, a crooked generation, a warped generation, distorted, people's lives are so, so broken. And you know what, that song we sang, God's heart is one, not just to stand back and say, let them, let them go at it. He says, I wanna save them. I wanna rescue them from the brokenness, the sin that's destroying them. I wanna, I wanna deliver them from that. And so that's why Jesus came in the world. But Jesus called the church, what? The body of Christ. God's presence and his purpose in this world is gonna be carried out through us. That's God's plan. <laughs> That's his purpose. What's the hope of the world? It's, it's Jesus and Jesus and us, the church. It is the people of God who are to be 
distinct, holy, different from a world that's marked by conflict and fighting and resentment and anger and destruction and abuse and all the ugly things that we see. The church is to, to be different because Jesus is in us and he's called us his very own. And so as God's children, what's, what's our purpose in obedience? It's to shine. Jesus said, you are the light of the world. You are the salt of the earth. Did you know God's purpose for you is so glorious? It's for the good of the world. <laughs> and I tell couples when, when they're getting married, it's like, this marriage will be a blessing for you, but God's purpose in your marriage is so much bigger than just you. Think about all the effects that a marriage has and the workplace on the neighborhood, on the children, on the church, on the society. And so, so it's much bigger. It's, it's getting out of our selfish thinking into the glorious purpose of God to redeem and to bring blessing among all people. We were called to be a blessing. Again, this isn't up to us. We're not, we're not uh, gearing up to go out and do this on our own. Rather, it's God who works in us. And then what does it say there? It says, as we hold firmly to the word of life. My dear brothers and sisters, this is why we gather every week, because <laughs> we have to be reminded that we can't do this on our own. It is only through the power and the presence of God in us. We have to be reminded that he is the word, that he is the life, that he is the truth, he is the way, and he's in us, and he's going to do something through us that will bring blessing to this world. The last word for us this morning is worship, is worship. So obedience, and there's a purpose in our obedience, and then worship. Um, verse 17, even if I'm being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice. This is an Old Testament reference to the Jewish form of worship where they would come and actually bring animals. Aren't you glad we don't have to bring our, go our goats and our sheep <laughs> to church, right? The blood of Jesus provided it. There's no sacrifice needed. There's grace. But one of the offerings they would bring is they would bring a drink to pour out. Now remember, earlier Paul said it is, uh, we're called not only to believe in Christ, but to suffer for Christ. Suffering. This week uh, I, uh, I was dropping my son off at, at basketball and I had the radio on and Focus on the Family was on and they were interviewing a man named Andrew Brunson. I don't know if you remember that name. Uh, a few years ago back, um, um, I remember praying for Andrew, but I hadn't heard anything since because uh, if you remember, this was back when President Trump was in the office and, and, uh, and remember Turkey uh, had some political things going on. There was a coup attempt and, and things just fell apart in Turkey and there became this, this struggle uh, politically in Turkey um, to hold on to power and there became this tension with the United States. And so they began to arrest all these people and one of the people they arrested was Andrew Brunson and, uh, and his wife. They eventually let his wife go, but, but Andrew was starting a church in Turkey, uh, just a small church where they would gather every week to worship and, and he had been there for many, many years in Turkey. Uh, God had called him to Turkey. In fact, in the interview he said, I wasn't necessarily excited about going to Turkey, but I knew that God called me. He says, I was being obedient to go to Turkey. But they fell in love with the people there, and they passionately wanted the people to know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. And they saw people come to Christ. But he got arrested. And uh, I really encourage you, there's a two-part interview. Go back and, and listen to this interview because it illustrates so much of the Philippian letter. Like, we, we think, okay, Paul was in prison, but that, that was a long time ago. It feels so distant. Andrew was in prison just a few years ago. For two years, he was in a prison in Turkey. And so, how do we get through pressure, persecution? Here's what, what he said, what Andrew said when, in that time in, in, in in prison, and he was locked in the cell with, with, uh, with, with like 20 other guys who were all Muslims, and so he was the only Christian there, and it was very lonely, it was very hard, he lost tons of weight, uh, just suffered a lot, but he, um, he said, he said, I did not feel like worshiping. He said, I was, I was struggling with my faith. <laughs> Why, why could God allow this after serving so many years? And he, he had a crisis of faith. And he said that time was a 
time of silence. It felt like God was so distant, so far from him. And, and the word he used for his worship during those two years, and, and he said he, after that first year, uh, he just he broke down physically, emotionally, spiritually. He was just broken. But then he realized something very profound. He realized worship was just simple obedience and simple devotion. And he realized that, that God had been so faithful for all those years, and even though he didn't feel the presence of God, he didn't feel joy, he just said, I'm gonna obey, I'm gonna trust. I'm gonna devote my life to Jesus. And you know what's so amazing? In that time, they would bring him in front of the government, and he would just preach Jesus. So they'd have these trials, and they accuse him of all kinds of things, and he would just preach Jesus, the forgiveness of Jesus, the power of the cross, the power of the resurrection, and he proclaimed Christ faithfully. But he didn't feel anything. He was lonely. He was struggling. He was battling. And I know I've never been in prison. Maybe, and I, I doubt any of you have ever been in prison. But you know what's so true? of his experience is we have those times in our Christian life. There's so many Sundays where I bet you show up and you don't feel like singing. We talk about the glory of God, but you don't feel anything. We talk about the joy of the Lord, you don't feel anything. Maybe you're going through a, a relationship breakup. Maybe you're having trouble with your kids. Maybe you're having trouble at your job and you're feeling the pressure, you're suffering. How do we get through that? And I think Andrew's example is so profound because in the American church, sometimes we're so attracted to the emotive experience or we, we want some kind of high or we, we look for some kind of experience. But if we take the word of God seriously, the reality of this is rooted in an obedience and a purpose that's bigger than just us. You see, we don't worship for ourselves. We worship because we were designed to worship. We were created to worship. And so when Andrew surrendered to that, he said he experienced a new freedom, a new dimension, a new depth of his faith. faith. And he, he referenced Philippians. He said, now I understand what Paul was talking about, to live as Christ and to die as gain. I understand that. And this is what Paul is talking about. Worship is being poured out like a drink offering. We give our lives to him because he's worthy. He's Lord of all. We're willing to go to prison. We're willing to lose everything for him because he is Lord. There's no greater purpose, there's no greater good than to give our lives to Jesus. And so that's what Paul says. He says, it's a life of worship. And he says, I'm glad and rejoice with all of you. I'm glad and I rejoice. So you too should be glad and rejoice with me. And so what is Christian joy? <laughs> It's not just an emotion. It's not just based on our circumstances. It's a deep-rooted confidence and trust in God and who He is. That is our worship. That is why we worship. We don't, we don't come here on Sundays because we like the music or we don't like the music or because this person's here or that person's there or because it's just what we have to, to do. It's, it's because we see the glory of God and we see that he is worthy. And when we stand together and we worship together and we're obedient together, we understand the purpose of God. And then the world will see, the world will see the glory of Jesus Christ. We're going to take communion. I'm going to invite um, Hannah to come up. Uh, I also want to invite the elders. If you could come up, uh, elders and servers, we're going to pass the trays around. And this is really the, the, the essence of our worship is what Jesus accomplished on the cross and his resurrection. And so um, we're gonna pass these around and then uh, I want you to take the cup, take the bread and just hold it and then we're gonna take it all together.
works thy hands have made. I see the stars. I hear the mind thunder thy power throughout the universe display. Then sings my soul, my Savior God, to Obedience is joy, and I, I can just 
sense the joy of the Lord as we sing that beautiful hymn. And Jesus uh, was at the table and he said to them, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it again until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. And after taking the cup, he gave thanks and said, take this and divide it among you. For I tell you, I will not drink again from the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread and gave thanks and he broke it and he gave it to them saying, this is my body given for you. Do this and remember to me. Let's take and eat. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. And so let's take and drink. Praise God. Praise Jesus. You may be seated. What a glorious 